What a great time of year. Today is Palm Sunday. Isn't that fun? It's Palm Sunday. They got palms next year. We still haven't found any place to buy palms, so if you ever find any place to sell some palms. But there was a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday, and he stayed home from church with his mom, and his father went on off to church, and he returned home, and he brought home with him a palm. And the little boy said, Daddy, what is that? And he says, well, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. The little little boy said, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss and Jesus shows up. (laughs) Well, it is Palm Sunday. It is a day of great celebration. Do take heart as we've been looking at this series on, a, uh, on the attitude of our heart, our heart condition, that you have, may inter- you have perhaps interacted with some people that have a heart condition, that have some attitude issues and some attitude problems. None so bad as Jesus, who one day walks into town and everyone is singing his praises, and a week later they're all singing for him to be crucified. People that he helped, people that he ministered to with the finances, people that he laid hands on and they became well, people that he cast demons out, people who had relatives that he helped. These people turned so quickly. Makes our situation look a whole lot easier. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah and Hananiah, who was a false prophet, And the interaction that they had, and we saw that Hananiah thought that he was a a righteous prophet, but that he was not. And Jeremiah confronted him on some of those things that had gone on there. And Hananiah was very strong, very adamant that the word he was saying was right. Jeremiah said, simply go back in history and take a look at what God has said through his prophets before and what has come true. And then compare it to what you're saying. And uh, Hananiah didn't want to hear that. As soon as the Jeremiah spoke the words out of Hananiah's mouth came the word, one word, remember what it was? False. False. People who are in pride, people who are not of the truth, never need to check out what you say. And that's how you can tell right off the bat that people are in pride and people are in a place where truth doesn't matter as much to them. Because as soon as they hear something contrary to what they believe, to what they feel, They will, out of their mouth, say, false, not true. It's a sign. It's a sign of that. When we get into pride, it hardens our hearts. It makes us resistant to correction, and we become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. No wonder God becomes resistant to us. We've got to make sure we don't do that. Last week, Ethel was alluding to this. If you weren't here, it is up on the Internet. But we saw a message to a king. The king who was Jehoram, he heard the words of a woman who said, came to him and said, we need you to settle a dispute. See, yesterday we had an agreement and we killed my son yesterday and we ate him. And today we're supposed to kill her son and eat him. And uh, she doesn't want to give, she's hidden her son now. And that's not fair. And the king was outraged and he said, God do more to me 
if the head of Elisha remains on his shoulders, he was going to kill him. And we went over some of the reasons why he was probably trying to do that. But people who are in pride often, they blame other people. People who are in pride blame others. People who are in false humility or who are insecure blame themselves. Everything is their fault. People in pride, everything is someone else's fault. God wants us to be humble in which I can realize what is my fault and I can also realize what is not. I can see what is in my control and in my power to do something about and I can see what is not. And you rest with that. And you're very, very, you're okay with that. Uh, We said last week, the humble go to the word and or seek the Lord's counsel before they utter a word or entertain a thought. That's the humble. When somebody says something to you, when somebody has an attitude with you, before, you, before a thought comes to you, before a word is uttered by your mouth, what should you do? Check out what the Word of God says. We said before that pride, we use the acronym BAT. Pride, when it comes in, it comes in through your thoughts. It gets into your heart. It begins to take over your actions and influences your talk. That's the pathway it will take. Make sure you stand against it. We said last week, too, if the word you are learning is not having a positive effect upon your words, actions, reactions, and thoughts, you may merely be a wart on the body of Christ. And, of course, wart stood for something. Words, actions, reactions, and thoughts. We want to be more than a wart on the body of Christ. How many it's, it's nice to be a part of the body of Christ, but how many want to be a functioning part of the body of Christ? We want, to, we want to get in there and do that and do the things that, that God has. We, talk, we gave you that example last week and that word that God spoke to me years later on uh, about how to, how to handle some of the hurts that come up and when, uh, when things are going on before and you, know, you keep being reminded of that. And I was, I was ready to obey God or at least do what I felt God was saying simply because my flesh was tweaked. It is easier, it is easy for most to obey God when their flesh is tweaked than when their spirit is directed. Make sure you obey God because your spirit is directed, not because your flesh got upset. That's important to do. Keep yourself out of, out of that. Well, we're going to look. We put this up there on Facebook today for the, uh, if you were up there at all and saw the title on this, uh, An Axe, A Murderer, and A Ride. Well, it sounds like, you know, right out of uh, NCIS. We got a weapon, we got a culprit, and we got a way to get away. <laughs> That's not quite the way that it is, but we'll let you think that for a little while. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to look at some more examples of people, requests, and responses that we see. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan. Let every man take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. And they said, please consent to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Then he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. 
Well, we look at this request, and sometimes we can just kind of we can kind of miss what's going on. But somebody is asking something of it, and here is the the request: Help me find what I lost. Have you ever had that request made of you? You didn't lose it; somebody else lost it. It isn't yours; it's theirs. It doesn't affect you; it affects them. But they come to you and say, "Help me find what I lost." <laughs> Well, here's a few possible answers that you can have for this. First off, you could say, find it yourself. That's one response that you can have. Here's another one. Why is it my problem? Right, we, could, we could have that response, and maybe some of us have. Uh, I'm busy with more important matters. Could Elisha have had that? I'm over here seeking the Lord. I'm over here praying. I'm over here. He could have been responding this way. I'm busy with more important matters. Um, here's the last one. What do you expect me to do? I mean, we're really, what do you expect Elisha to do? The axe head falls in the water. It's in the water. Go in there and get it. How many of you are on the side of thinking, you know what? It fell in the water. Go in the water and get it. What's the big deal? Go out there and get it. But they come to you. How many times have people come to you with a problem? It's not your problem. It doesn't affect you. But they come to you with the problem. Help me do this. Well, that'll tell you a little bit about your attitude on the inside and what's going on. So here's the, here's the problem. We were using this axe head to build a bigger place for what we're doing here for the Lord. And uh, the axe head got, got lost. Well, I put this in your outline for you. If we focus on cause and effect, we are not likely to help as many people. If we focus on cause and effect, we are not likely to help many people. Because simply, we look at the cause and the effect. Well, I'm not the cause. Why should I be a part of the effect? <laughs> I didn't cause it. You caused it. If we, if we focus on that, we're not going to help out nearly as many people. That isn't my problem. If we focus on cause and effect, we are not likely to help as many people. Instead, focus on the effect you can cause. Instead of cause and effect, focus on the effect that you can cause. That's a different focus. If you just focus on, well, what caused this, you're not going to do as much. But if you focus on the fact of what effect can what I do have on other people, you may get more involved a little bit more. Sometimes we don't always realize how much an effect we have on other people. When we step up and we help someone in a situation, help them out of it, we have had an effect on those people. Hopefully a positive one. We can have an effect on that. If you are in the grocery line and someone in front of you is having a hard time and you get upset and talk about how much of a hurry you are and how much they need to open up another line, and you're having an effect upon the people that are there. But it's not a good effect. You weren't the cause of the problem, but you were having a negative effect on the, on the group. What you need to do is find out what can I do? How can I help this out? Maybe if they're having a problem with the price, instead of you just standing there, hey, but if you grab the item, which aisle did you get this from? I'm going to go find out what that price is. I'm going to go get another one that has that sticker on it while you stay over here and you can take care of these things. As it has a positive effect on people. We've got to look for that. Now, see, a person in pride won't do that because a person in pride is simply looking on how this affects me. 
how this is holding me up. I'm more important. A person who has false humility, well, I can't do anything to change it. I'll just have to sit here and wait. But a person who is humble simply says, I can do something. I can have an effect on this. Elisha steps to the, to the plate here. And he says, you know what, folks? We can have an effect on this. He goes over and now he has to get this from God because it doesn't happen this way. If you lose something in the river and you throw a stick in, metal doesn't float just because you threw a stick in. But somehow he got that from God. God says he, but he had, in order to get that from God, what do you have to do? You got to ask him. In order for me to ask God about that situation, I've got to get involved. And I've got to say, Father God, I can have an effect on this. What can we do? What can we do? I want to have a positive effect on this. Remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 2? king had a dream. The king had a dream. Don't, uh, it's been taught this way, but it's wrong. It's, it, the king did not forget the dream. The king remembered the dream. But he says, in order for me to know that you can interpret the dream, you've got to tell me the dream and its interpretation. If you can tell me the dream, then I know you can interpret it. And they all said, this is ridiculous. This is an un... un no, no, one, no king has ever required this of his wise men before. And they were getting upset. Why? Because the request pushed them. That's why we've been on this for a couple of weeks. When people make a request of you, it exposes what's going on in the inside. Do you really believe the impossible is possible? Or do you believe that people don't have the right to impose that on you? So Elisha gets involved. Daniel got involved. He says, look, go to the king. Tell the king I'll have his answer for him tomorrow. Tell the king not to go kill everybody off. Just tell him, wait until tomorrow. I'm going to have an answer for him. And Daniel went off and sought after the Lord. And when he sought after the Lord and asked the Lord about it, the Lord gave him the answer. And he had a vision, not a dream. He had a vision of what the king dreamed. He saw it and he thanked God for it. And he went on in and he told the king what it was and he gave God the glory. Well, here Elisha has seen that he can have an effect upon this. Put in your outline this. Elisha responds with the caring of a humble man. When you remain in the humility that God wants you to walk in, you have a caring about you because you realize I can have an effect on people that I'm around. I may not have caused the situation, but I can have a positive effect. You realize that your words can have an effect on people. Your attitude can have an effect on people. And so you keep those things in check. You make sure that you don't just bark something out. No, you listen. And after you keep doing that and doing that and doing that, it becomes your nature. And that's just what you do. But be careful. If you follow in the way of pride and all the time that you get frustrated and you bark out things with people, that becomes your nature too. Don't let that become your nature. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit to, of the ground to the Lord. And he also brought the first, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So here's the request that God makes. Do well and you will be accepted. Do well and you will be accepted. That's what he says to him to do. Look, if you do well, you will be what? I'll be accepted. If you do well, what's doing well? Doing what God asked. And they, already, they knew at this point God had taught them what the sacrifices were because when Adam and Eve sinned, God went out and slew an animal and sacrificed it. Used the skin to cover them up, but he showed them what a sacrifice was. And that blood was necessary when sin came into the earth. And so Cain and Abel also knew this. And they knew that sacrifice was important. And, but Cain says, you know what? I don't, I don't raise sheep. My brother does. I, I'm going to give God what I have. I'm going to give God what I want. I'm going to give God what is convenient. I'm going to give God what I've got. Sometimes people want to serve God with what they have, whether anyone likes it or not. You've got to be careful about that. If you are going to serve God by serving people, then what you do should help them. If it does not, Pride will keep you in that place. No, I've got to keep doing this because this is what I do for God. But that's not what he wants you to do. Doesn't matter. This is what I do for God. But that's not what he wants you to do. Doesn't matter. This is what I do. See, you can't take correction. You've got that pride coming in. And even though you're serving, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the cloak of service, sometimes people think just because they're serving God, they must be right with God. Not at all. There's a whole mess of people that Jesus dealt with just in the Gospels. Who were serving God. And they were not right at all. He exposed it all the time. How many times in the Old Testament do we see the same thing? People serving God. People came out with strange fire before God. We want to serve God the way we want to serve God. We want to be involved and do for God what we want to do. Not what God says we ought to do. And what happened? One group of people, the fire came down and burned them all up. Another group of people, the earth opened up and swallowed them. That's what God said. Then they blamed it on Moses. You know, you killed these people. Yeah, he, I, <laughs> I don't know. If, if I really believed that this guy could open the earth up, I wouldn't be accusing him. Not be a good idea. I'd be kind of stay away from that one. But that's not what they did. It doesn't. People in pride don't often make sense. I don't ever try and get them to make sense. They don't often make sense. But just understand this. If what you're doing to serve God is not helping people, you ought to be quick to stop. Well, do well and you will be accepted. question we should say is, what would you have me do? That's what we should say. That should be our response. Well, God, if, I, if you want me to do, what would you have me do? And what, what does God say? You need to bring animals. You need to, there needs to be blood. People, things need to die. Not people, but animals need to die to cover up the blood or cover up the sin. Here's another response. You should be happy with what I give you. Isn't that what Cain is basically saying? I'm giving you this. You ought to be happy with it. I'm doing my best. God does not want your best. He wants your obedience. We've got to make sure that that's what we're doing. 
If a person who's in pride cannot take correction, therefore their best is all God will get, or what they want to give is all God's going to get. A person who is in false humility, who is insecure, they're not going to give God anything because they don't feel any of it's good enough. You need to be in that place that's humble. So what we see, what we see here from, from Cain is self-righteousness. We see anger. We see superiority. We see hatred. He feels superior over his brother. He feels superior over his parents who instructed him what God had said. He feels superior over... If God came to you, however God came to Cain and gave him that, that uh, paragraph there, a little longer than most times he gives people words. Most times they're pretty short. This one was a little bit longer one. If you do well, you will be accepted. If you don't do well, you won't be. But sin lies at the door. It's waiting to devour you, but you should rule over it. If God says that to you, how many are writing that down, putting it in front of them, and making sure I need to make sure that I focus on this and get this taken care of? But see, people in pride feel that they're superior and toss it aside. How they, I don't know how they do it. But they do. This is what Cain is doing. He feels self-righteous. God is lucky to have me on the team. I am that good. And um, that's, just, that's just how it is. You've got to put up with some stuff when you've got talent like me. How many have people in your life that are like that? They feel they are so good at what they do that you ought to just put up with them. And sometimes people are good at what they do and you do put up with it a little bit. How many of you have some people in your life, they're really good at what they do and they've got a little attitude about it? And do you put up with it? To a degree you do, right? Because they're really good at what they do. <laughs> Whatever it is that they might do. You know, they, they might... Um, but they provide some kind of a service for you. They do something. Maybe you go to a gas station and you go there because the gas is a nickel cheaper, but the people are rude. Why do you put up with it? Because it's cheap. I can save five cents a gallon. Right? Five cents a gallon. Well, you buy 10 gallons, put it in your car. That's 50 cents. You are putting up with a nasty person for 50 cents. Think about it that way sometimes. Uh, sometimes, you know, these, we, we shouldn't ought to do that. You, you ought to have some nice uh, attitude is, is important. If you want to take care of people, if you want people to, to if, if you get into a service industry, anything in service, if you are a waiter, if you are a waitress, if you are a person who checks people out in a line, if you are a person who has any interaction with the public and whatever it is that you do, you will do better if you are nice to people. Right? We got hairstylists. We got, we got people who do things to help people. And, and if you are nice to people, then people are nice back. If you are involved in a job that, require, that, that requires the, the recipients to tip you, then be nice to them. Don't treat them rudely. And then talk about how nasty they were not giving you a tip. That's not going to help. If you want people to come to the service that you want to do, be nice. I don't know. Sometimes I, th I thought about this. We ought to just do a series on how to get along with people. You know, I, I, I don't think it's hard. The Bible teaches us so much about how to get along with people. But it seems like most of us are having such a hard time. <laughs> 
how to get along with people. It's not hard to get along with people. People are easy to get along with. The problem generally is you. And if you can take care of you, let me tell you what, God is so good. He has given you principles no matter who it is you encounter. You can get along with them. You can do it. If you do what the Word of God says to do. But you got, I mean, if just about all of our jobs involve interacting with people somehow. They, they, they just do. And when, they, when it does, and you are nice, you, you enlist their loyalty. If they are loyal to you, that's good. That helps. You know, if, you're, if you provide a service and they could go get that service someplace else, they could get their haircut someplace else, you want them to come by and get their haircut, you want them to come by and get their lunch, you want them to come by and buy their stuff from you. Right? So you want to make it worth their while. And, and, and to do that. I've told you the story before, but when I worked for Kelsters, you know, I, I worked for a while in the retail in which you're in, interacting with the, um, uh, just the people, you know, retail people. And come on in. That's a whole different ball game. Whole different. But I was successful. I was able to get in there and and you know the retail people. How many have been in you know, line and you see what they do to the people? Who are, it's just not nice. It's not nice. But if, you know most of the people are, are good. But when I worked for Kelsners, I didn't deal with retail people. I dealt with business owners. It was a whole different world. I liked that world. They were nice to deal with. I mean, they just had a different mentality about them. So I adjusted to them. I began to learn about them. I began to learn about what they wanted. And what they wanted out of life for, for their business was to not have to be mindful of what I did. That's what I picked up from them. They did not want to know anything about what I did. They didn't want to be bothered with it. Now, I was down at the shore at the shore house. And these folks, if you've, if you've dealt with business people, you've never dealt with business people until you've dealt with business people at the shore. It's a whole different kind of people. Good kind of people, but a whole different kind of people. These folks work from 6 o'clock in the morning until the wee hours of the morning, 18-hour days, seven days a week, three months out of the year. For three months out of the year, all they do is work. That's it. Just enough time to sleep, maybe a little bit of time to eat. All they do is work and they go at it and they make lots of money for three months. Fourth month, you know, it's kind of on and off. But those three months that they're down to shore in the summertime, it is intense. So what I found out was, and it worked out good, is if I went in there and they didn't have to focus on what I brought them, I focused on it and I got them comfortable. I got them to say, this is what, I, this is what you have this is what I'm going to leave you. This is what I expect you to sell. And after a while, they became so confident that I had their best interest in mind that a lot of times they said, look, just leave whatever you want. I'll just sign it. And they began to spend less and less time with it. I would rotate it out for them. I would help them. I would make sure they saw I was keeping records. And I had a competitor who came on down and tried to take some of my customers away. And he did not get a single one. Sometimes they would come in and say, you know, they came on in, they gave us some free stuff and we took their free stuff, but we're not going to buy anything from them. <laughs> we want to we want to buy off of you. And they, they wanted to. But why? Because I was nice to them. I found out things that would make their their day easier and make their job easier. And when I would come in with a new product, 
they'd accept it. And they would buy more and more stuff, and sales kept going up higher and higher, which is good. I'm selling more things. This is all helpful. Learn to, learn to do, be nice to folks. Elisha was a guy who was, who was nice. Cain is not nice. He's not ni- this is not the first time Cain is not nice. How many of y'all know un- people that are not nice are not nice all the time? It's not like just all of a sudden one day they had a moment and they weren't nice. People that are not nice, people who can rise up and kill someone because you're in my way. Because there's nothing at all that Abel's doing that's taken away from his, his uh, fruit. He's raising sheep, livestock. If he, if he had his, uh, any smarts, he would say, you know what? The stuff from your livestock that you don't want to use, I can use it. And he could take all that stuff and fertilize his, uh, his crops. If he was smart. But he just was not a nice person. He was filled with self-righteous, self-righteousness, anger, superiority, and hatred. And he rises up, takes up, sneaks up behind him. Cain, or Abel's not even thinking about this. And Cain just rises up and kills him. Now, God doesn't have to call in the CSI team. He doesn't need to go to the videotape, find out what kind of video surveillance we had in the area. He doesn't need to call up witnesses. He says, I know what you did. I know what you did, and I'm going to judge you for it. People in pride often are just trying to protect what they have. Cain is trying to protect what he has. But in protecting what we have, we make no gains and eventually lose what it is that we have. That's why God, God doesn't want you in pride. He wants you to increase. He wants you to grow, not decrease. Response here is the anger and hatred of a prideful man. Prideful people, they want to wipe out what shows them up. If you show them up, they want to wipe you out. That's all they want to do. Matthew 21. Here's the ride. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now, this story is accounted in all four Gospels. There are not many stories that are recorded in all four Gospels. Crucifixion is, the number of stories around the crucifixion is. Uh, this one is, not many are recorded in all four. Some are recorded in three, some are recorded in two. There's a, some stories only have in one. But this one is recorded in all four. So I went back and I read all four accounts of this. And do you know who these two disciples are? They are two disciples. (laughs) I read Matthew. I read Mark. I read Luke. I read John. They are all saying two disciples. So I went back and I dug up. I said, surely there's something in the Jewish historians will throw out and help us out with this. You know what they say? They were two disciples. (laughs) when, When has it ever happened that the disciples aren't named? Who was the treasurer? Judas. Judas. Who's the guy who left the room and the the Last Supper? Judas did. Who's the guy who walked on the water? Peter. Who's the guys who wanted to sit on the right and left side? James and John. Who were the guys who went up on the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. We can name story after story. 
and we can tell you exactly who did what. But we come to this one where Jesus gives an assignment and says, going out there and, and do this, and we find out it is two. two. So I made some deductions, and I am pretty sure when we get to heaven, we're going to find out these two disciples are not Peter, James, and John. I know that because Mark would have recorded it because Peter told Mark what to write. The Gospel of Mark is actually the Gospel of Peter. And Peter gave the stories to Mark, and so Mark wrote them down. And if Peter is telling that story, he would have said, yeah, me and John, we had to go on down. <laughs> right? And so then Mark would have had it right. And everybody else would have, wouldn't have cared. But Mark didn't have that in there, so I know Peter was not in there. He, he wasn't involved. If it was James and John, I think Peter still would have identified them. Because, you know, a little bit of conflict going on between those two. Peter and James and Peter and John. A little bit of conflict going on there. And, you know, Peter, I think, wanted that spot that they were asking for. And, and you know, John's always going around talking about, hey, he's a disciple that Jesus loved. And I'm sure that didn't sit well with Peter. So he would have just liked to say, it was Peter, it was, it was James and John. They had to go do that. He, he, I think he would have just said that. So I'm pretty sure those three guys are out. They're not involved. Who it is, we don't know. We don't know. We are never told who these two are. It's, it's probably, you know, two of them in there. Uh, so some of the twelve. Maybe it's just some of the ones we don't deal with a whole lot. Whatever it is, it's two. He tells these two, go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now, if you read all four of these accounts... This is the Palm Sunday story. If you read all four accounts, you will find out something. There is a difference between all four accounts. One difference between all four accounts. Most of the time, it's almost, the wording is almost identical. Except when you get to Matthew. If you go to, to Luke, if you go to John, if you go to Mark, you will find out that they said, go into town and you will find a cult. Matthew is the only one who says you will find a donkey and a colt. He's the only one who does that. Now, Matthew is the one, when he comes after gospel, he is looking to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the one prophesied of. And the prophecy in the Old Testament talks about a donkey and her colt, upon which no one had ever ridden. And that they go and they, they get that. And so that's why Matthew includes that. All that really mattered to the rest of them was, what did Jesus ride on? So we go on here. Saying to them in the village opposite you, uh, say to them, here's what he's saying. Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. The colt is probably young and probably very close to mama right now. And the two probably don't want to be separated. You know, mama doesn't want to be separated from her little one. And the little one doesn't want to be separated from the mama. So the reason you bring both, because they're kind of uh, tied together here. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, the, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. 
So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. So the prophecy is in particular not just a donkey, but a young donkey, a colt. And so when he goes into the city, he says, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see the mama donkey and you're going to see the little baby colt. Everybody else just focuses on the one that he rode on. Now, here's one other wording I want you to get a chance to see. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, go back to verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on what is them? Can you ride a donkey and a colt at the same time? Maybe he was pulling a Indiana Jones. You know, one leg on the donkey, one leg on the colt. Standing up. I mean, that's a great scene. Can you imagine Jesus coming into town? Now, the donkeys aren't quite as fast as the, as the horses. It may not have quite the same effect. You know, the one little, little, little guy, he's kind of young. He's not going real, real fast to begin with. So, I don't know. I think Indiana Jones probably would have looked better doing it than it did here. But, but here's the thing. He's not riding a donkey in a colt. What's the prophecy say he's going to ride? The colt. So, he's going to ride the colt. But the donkeys come along to keep the colt calm. Because it's the mom. No one's ever ridden this colt. It's too young. So they come and they put their clothes on them. And they set him on the clothes. They put their clothes on them. Which means there's more than one piece of cloth. There's more than one garment. So he sits on them. The clothes that they put on the colt. (laughs) That's all. He's not riding two. The prophecy is that he would ride the colt, the fowl of a donkey. And that's exactly what he wrote. So he says this to these people. Two undisclosed disciples are given a mission. And Jesus says, I have a mission for you. I want you to go into town. And when you get into town, you're going to see a donkey and a colt right next to each other. You can put our picture up there on the, on the background. You can see that just to give you an idea. Isn't that cute? Donkey and a colt. That's what you're looking at. Big one, little one. And Jesus is going to ride on the the little one. That's right. Because no one's ever ridden on that one before. And that's what the prophecy said it was going to be. Not a horse like some kings might come in. He's going to ride on a donkey. So here's your, here's your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Go into town. You're going to find a donkey and a colt tied up. And I want you to go over the donkey and the colt. And I want you to untie the donkey and the colt. I want you to bring them over here to me. What is that called? It's called stealing. Taking something that is not yours home with you. That's that's stealing. There's no other way around it. That's what it is. So you have this mission from the master. Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God has told you to go into town and to steal a donkey and the colt. Hmm, this is good. If you are one of the disciples, why don't you go into town and do it? 
<laughs> if you want to steal the donkey, why don't you go into town and steal the donkey? You know, wouldn't you be thinking this? If I told you, you know what, I need a different car for this afternoon. Can you go down to the Wegmans? And when you go down to the Wegmans, you're going to see a blue Mustang. Five speed. I want you to break into the Mustang. And I want you to hotwire. And then I want you to drive it up here because I have need of it. What would you be thinking? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. If the police were to stop you, what are you doing? Well, my pastor has need of the Mustang. And so he asked me to come down here to this parking lot and find a blue Mustang and to bring it back. Your pastor told you to do that, huh? And then they would come back up here to the church and you would say, Pastor, would you tell them, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> and then you'd be up a creek without a paddle. Aren't these, wouldn't they be going through your head? You're going to go into town. You're going to find a donkey. It's tied up. That means the donkey has stuff on it. It's not just wandering around. Someone has ownership of it and has tied it up. You're going to go over and untie it. And then you're going to walk it on back over here to where he is. Because I have need of it. So two disciples. If you're wondering why the names are not given. It's right there. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. That's right. That's why all four leave it out. We cannot say a word about this. So they go in there and they, they get this assignment. You've got to be thinking. What is Jesus asking us to do? Should we be doing this? Should he be asking us to do this? And you can get a little indignant. You can get a little resistant to the master. And when he says, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to steal. Now look, if anybody says anything to you, this is what you tell them. The master has need of him. And he'll let you go. Uh-huh. Yeah. We untie the coat. We have the coat in our hand. We are walking away. And somebody says, hey, what are you doing? Uh, the master has need of him. Oh. Okay. Can you imagine that happen? Can you, can you, any scenario, can you see that going on? So if you're, whoever these two disciples are, are you struggling? Have it all the way over into the city. You've got two of you. If you've got two of you, you can start talking to each other. Are we really going to do this? So Jesus said we need to do. We're just going to walk into town. Take a donkey and go home. Yeah? And if anybody says anything to us, this is what we're supposed to say. Huh? That's what I heard. You know they got to be struggling at least a little bit. This is a request that the master made. When the master makes a request, do you put up a struggle? Do you put up a fight? Do you begin to say things like, do you really need that? Today? How about if we all walk in, we find out who owns it, and we ask them, can we have it? How about that? That could work. But that's not what Jesus said to do. He gave them very clear instructions. You were to go into town. You're going to find the donkey and the colt. 
tied up. You're going to go over and untie it and bring it here to me. And if anyone says anything to you as you're going along the way, this is what you say. And they didn't alter it, did they? They did it exactly the way he said to do it. Even though it seems like they're guilty of a crime. So here's the request. Go get and bring. Go into the city. Get the donkey and the colt and bring them to me. Now, here's a response that we could have. That sounds weird. Has God ever asked you to do something that sounded weird? Mm-hmm. Hey, about this? I don't think that's going to work. Has God ever said anything to you that would make you think this might not work? Well, let's go back into history a little bit. Go wash seven times in the Jordan. Did that sound like it wasn't going to work? A little bit. Go stand before the Red Sea and put your staff over it. Hmm. Speak to the rock. Collect just enough manna for what you need for today. That apparently didn't sound very good to a lot of people. How many things can we go through the Word of God on? And people thought when God said it, this is not going to work. What good is this? Go out into the field, dig a bunch of ditches. God filled them up with water, looked like blood, had a victory. Put the praisers first. Go into battle and put the praisers first. First. In front of the swords and the spears. Uh-huh. Yeah, that way. Walk around the city seven times. Seven days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. Just walk around it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just walk Walk around it. Don't spit on it. Touch it. Push on it. Nope, nope. Just walk around it. Walk around it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Walk around it. This is going to do what? (laughs) How many times has God said some ridiculous things? How about this one? Roll the stone away. Too many times, folks, in the Word of God, God would say something, and the people would think, this isn't going to work. I don't want to break this to them, <laughs> but this is not going to work. It's not going to happen. Hmm. Think of something else that doesn't seem like it's going to work. How many have ever heard in the Word of God that if you tithe of all that you bring in, that God will bless your house? No, that's not going to work. Sounds weird. Hey, but this one, why do we have to do it? You're the one who wants a donkey. Why do we have to do it? <laughs> See, we haven't quite caught that service thing yet. We haven't quite caught that. We still got that little bit of pride that comes on up and says, why do I have to be the one who does it? You want a great example of this? Go back in the Old Testament in David when he was running from Saul. He, he was homesick. And he said, oh, just, just talking to himself. You know how you sometimes reminisce about home? Oh, that I could drink some of the water from the well at Bethlehem. And three of his guys, his best, some of his best warriors, heard him say that. And without asking David, said, you know what? Let's go get him some. And these three guys broke through the ranks of Saul's army. Snuck up to the well. 
pulled out some water and brought it over to David and said, David, we got a surprise for you. We are so looking forward to doing this. We, 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 we want to see what your face is when you... Here it is. This is water from the well at Bethlehem. We heard you talking the other day. We heard that you really missed it. And, uh, and we went out and did it. And David looks at them and says, you guys risked your life. Put yourself in harm's way simply to do something that you heard me say you wanted, that I wanted. He says, oh, guys, I really appreciate that. You don't know how much that means to me. But I can't drink this. This is, you risked your blood for this. And he put it out as an offering to God. What an attitude. But look at the attitude in his three guys. What can we do for you? And they don't even wait for him to say something. They just wait, wait to hear, oh, hey, I got something. Hey, I think he wants this. Let's go get it for him. That's what we need to be with God. If God needs it, we want to do it. I want to find a way to get it done. Pride won't let me do that. False humility won't let me do that. Because false humility will say, you can't do it. Pride will say, you don't need to do it. Why are you doing that? He should do it. You don't have to stoop down and do that. That's not your ministry. That's not your... Why do people want... No. And you serve God how? By serving others. Serving others. Have that attitude to serve others. Don't let pride get in the way. So these are some of the responses they could have had. Well, we sometimes want to get in there and we say, you know what? I appreciate you giving us to these two. But, you know, we got some people over here and they're real good at this kind of thing. I mean, Peter is a sweet talker. Peter is, Peter, he can just, put Peter in there. He's the guy that should be on there. Besides, if he gets arrested, it's not a big deal. It's not a great loss. It's just, you know, it's Peter. Well, the response here is, whatever we can do for you, Jesus. And they just pick up and they go. And they do exactly what Jesus says. How often do we have people that are in service to God and you ask them something and all you get is an argument? No, no, no. I don't want to do that. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I should do that. I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. I want to do it this way. We get arguments instead of service. Folks, that is a sign. That you have fallen into pride. And God does what to the proud? Resist them. You want to get an attitude with God? How much can I do? How much can I do? How can I help? Father God, what do you want me to do? Our attitude is how... You've got to have that attitude that we hear about in the army all the time. When you're in the army... And the commander says, jump, how high? Is, is not whether I should, not I'm not in the mood to, not do I need to, is there a reason? It's, it's how high, sir? And we just, we just go to it. That's what we need to do. We need to have that attitude. We need to have that service mentality. Whatever God needs, whatever God wants, I will do it for him. Well, I put this in your outline here for you. When something is asked of me, I can be a couple of choices here. First off, if you are in pride, if you are a prideful person, when something is asked of you. Now, again, this can be God asking you 
Or if you are in service to God, how do you serve God? By serving people. So you could be in the grocery store and somebody may ask something of you. You could be on your job and somebody may ask something of you. You could be in your neighborhood and somebody may ask something of you. What do you do? What's your response? Remember the uh, parable that Jesus told? When was I? When were you sick? And we didn't help you out. When were you in prison and we didn't visit you? When were you naked and we didn't clothe you? And as much as you haven't done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have not done it to me. And as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it also to me. How do you serve God? By serving others. So when something is asked of me, I can either be, first off, prideful and get angry, indignant and bitter. And you can keep on writing that list. You can, I just gave you three. But you can keep on going, couldn't you? You can get angry, indignant. How dare you ask me to do that? You can get bitter. Don't be doing it. That's a sign I'm in pride. I need to get out of that. It's a warning sign. Why do you have a speedometer on your car? See how fast you're going so you can be warned... If you are going faster than the speed limit, and somebody might want to talk to you about that. This way you get a warning ahead of time. These signs come up to help warn us. You're in pride. Get out of it. Fix it. If I am insecure, false humility, well, find someone better to do it. I can't do it. We're always disqualifying ourselves. That's false humility. Always, well, I can't do it. I'm not very good at that. There's other people who do. Peter and John are better at this than I am. Let them do it. Don't do it. That's, you're going to put yourself in a place of not being obedient to God. Whether you are in pride or whether you're at the other end of the spectrum. Ditch on the left, ditch on the right. Doesn't matter. It's still a ditch. Don't fall into it. Yeah, but who are they to ask me to do that? Whatsoever you do to the who? Least. 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 If you have someone that you consider to be less than you, and you serve them, and you help them, what have you done? I just did it for God. God, I just did that for you. And you ought to do it with an attitude like you're doing it for God, instead of doing it with an attitude like you're doing it for someone less than you. Don't do it with that attitude. Get into prideful, pridefulness, insecurity. Don't do that. The humble, when something is asked of me, I can be humble and be caring, serving, and loving. Caring, serving, and loving. When they come and they ask me to do this, what do I do? I do it with care. I do it with service. I do it with love. That's what we do. And I put everything into it. I'm going to make this be the best that it can be. I'm going to make this thing come through. I'm going to make this thing work. That's what we want to, to see go on. That's what you, Whatever it is that you do, you are doing it unto who? You do it to God. Not to you. You do it to God. Whatever it is that you're serving, you do it for God, you do it for God. 
Oh, it's so good when we serve God that way. We had a little situation went on here today. Um, I was we were doing swapping some some text messages out last night, and Daryl shot me a text message back. I'm going to embarrass Daryl about this one, but Daryl sent me a message back. He says, "Anything I need to know about tomorrow?" And I, I didn't think of it until then. He prompted me, "Oh yeah, we're going to do a video tomorrow." He says, "All right, we'll be ready." And he got on in here, and him and Corey, and they got it all all fixed up, and they got the and we played it. Not a hitch. Why? <laughs> He's, he's getting ready. He's coming out. Daryl came in here. I'm going to get the computer all ready. I'm going to get the video on there. He had it all up and ready and good, good to go. And it's, that's outstanding. That's people taking what they do seriously. Seriously. It's, it's what you need to do. You'd be surprised at how much goes on between our ushers. They're always communicating with each other. Bruce will me, I'm not going to be there today. I already let Ray know. Ray already let me know he's not going to be there today, but we got it covered this way. And all that's going on behind the scenes because they take what they do seriously. And we have other folks that do the same thing. They, they, they take what they do seriously. we got to. Because whatever you do in service to God, you're doing it to... It's, it's, it's showing who you are. It's showing whether you got pride, false humility, or you're humbly serving God. If you serve God... In pride. You know what the word says about that? You've done it unto your flesh. And you will have a flesh reward. Because the people in pride do it for what they get seen as. And God says, you already got your reward. How many of you, if you want to serve God, how many are doing it for a reward upstairs? We want to get up there, get to the gates. Go through all the highs, how you doing, and then sit on down for the judgment seat of, of, of Christ. Sit on down. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. Well, you don't want to say, I, I don't have anything here. Looking. Don't see nothing. Why? Because if you do it in pride, folks, you're doing it in the flesh. You do it in the flesh, you have your reward. How are you supposed to do it? Be humble. It's so important that we be humble when we're doing this. Be humble, be caring. Serving and loving. Pride gets into, sets into our life. We get aggravated, angry, indignant, bitter. When people ask something of us, we should never be that way. We should never get indignant, never get angry because someone has asked us to do something. Never. It won't be long before we get aggravated, angry, bitter, when God asks us something. Keep that in mind. If you get angry, bitter, indignant because people ask something of you, how much longer until you get angry, bitter, indignant when God asks something of you? Here's the pattern. We serve God by serving people. And people come and they ask something of us. And pride sets in and we become indignant, bitter, angry. Can you believe so-and-so asked me to do this? Oh, I can't. And then God starts to deal with us about our pride. And he asks us to do something. And we become angry, embittered, enraged at God. Can you think of people in the Bible who were this way? You ever wondered how they got there? Simple. 
started with people that they saw and moved to the God that they didn't see. Heard this story from Pastor Bill Wilson. He pastors an inner city church in New York. He has a mission, mission field in there that he, he goes into. Some very violent places that they go into in the, in the city. It said uh, he himself was stabbed twice as he ministered to the people. It may have been more by the time this was written. He had been stabbed two times serving the community. Can you imagine that? Could that enraged? Bitter? Angry? There's one time he was ministering to this Puerto Rican woman. She began to come out to the church. She got ministered to in the church, and she eventually found Jesus. She got saved, born again, and she came to Pastor Wilson, and she said, Pastor Wilson, I want to serve God somehow. And so he talked with her. Do you have any talents here? No, I can't do that. Do you have any here? No, don't do that. And she didn't really do, didn't have a whole lot that she could do in the church itself. She didn't even speak English real well. She could say a few words, but not a whole lot of words. And so he says, uh, she said, all I, all I do, I love kids. I just love kids. So he said, all right, we have these buses that go out into the communities. He put her on a bus, not to drive the bus, but to be on the bus to minister to the kids on the way into church. And so she picked up this ministry and she would find the, the child who looked in the worst shape of all of them. And she would hone in on that one. And she would pick them up, hold them on her lap, and she would whisper to them in their ear, God loves you. And I love you. The whole way into church, she would say to them, God loves you. And I love you. She didn't know a whole lot of English, but she knew those words. And she kept saying that she'd pick up these kids and she'd do that. Well, along the way she was doing this for months, and this one little boy... Seven years old, I believe he was. And she picked him up and she put him on her lap. She said that to him. God loves you. And I love you. Whole way into the church. Well, this little boy became attached to her. She became attached to him. And it seemed like just about every time someone was sitting on her lap, it was this little boy. This went on for a period of several months. Where this boy would be on her lap and all the time she would be hearing. He would be hearing. God loves you, and I love you. He came with his sister. His sister was older. And the whole time, all these months that she had been ministering to him, having him sit on her lap, saying to him, God loves you, and I love you. The whole way into church, and then the whole way home. The whole time, he never said a word. He didn't speak. He didn't talk. When he was at the church, he didn't speak. He didn't talk. No one ever heard him say a word. But after several months of in his ear, God loves you and I love you. This is all this woman could do. She could do nothing. She, nothing else she could find to do. But she had this one thing and she's going to do it. God loves you and I love you. One day, one Sunday, they're dropping him off at about 2.30 in the afternoon. For some reason, he got off the bus and he was heading, heading back home, and he stopped, and he came back, and he said, I love you too. He threw his arms around her, gave her a big hug, and then she was off. Or he was off. At 6.30 that night, that little boy was found dead, beaten by his mother, 
and thrown into a dumpster. The last thing he heard, God loves you and I love you. Is it important that we serve God? Is it important that we serve God with the right attitude? Is it important that we stay humble? Not prideful? Not insecure? Not saying I can't do anything good, I can't do anything to help? Or that I do everything perfectly and I do everything right? But just finding that place. Jesus came into the city that day. He came riding on a colt, a young donkey. He had sent his men in ahead of time. And he said, when you find this, if anyone says anything to you, tell them the master has need of it. And he'll let it go. The master has need of it. What do you have that the master has need of? What do you have that your master has need of? We think of Palm Sunday. Jesus coming in on a cult. Someone gave up what they had simply because the master has need. What does God need from you? What's he asking of you? How's your attitude with the people that are around you? I love a book that uh, Chuck Swindell wrote one time called Improving Your Serve. Wonderful book. It has nothing to do with tennis. But it was a great book. Because we have to remember, we are called to serve our God. And if we ever lose sight of what we do for God is serving people. If we get the wrong attitude built up on the inside, it will hinder us. Our reward from God is gone. Frustration comes in. Anger. Bitterness. It's not right. You're you're hurting yourself. Not just the people that are around you. You hurt yourself. How many people were in that church were not in a place where this one woman was? She was in a place. She did what she could do. Whatever it is you do for God, do it with all your heart. Do it wholeheartedly. So scripture says, for what you do, you don't do the men. You do unto God. No matter what request people make of you, see yourself as serving God. What am I doing to serve God? Now, I don't know if we're going to get into this next week. It might be next week. It might be the week after that. But we are going to get into this. Is there ever a time that people ask something of you and you shouldn't do it? If so, how do you know? How do you know you're not just saying no because you're in pride or because false humility has taken hold? How do you know? Is it important that we know? If it's important that we know, how many know it's in the Word of God? It's in the Word of God. And there is stuff in there to help us out with that. Because sometimes the enemy gets you to do things for people that he knows will build a wrong attitude in you and in them. But the Word of God is good. helps us out. helps us to figure out those things are. But you know, for the most part, we need to get our service right. We need to get our service right. Be in an attitude of service to God. How much 
can I do? Get that attitude right first. Then you can bring in how you need to mellow that out a little bit and, and see what God is saying to do. But get that attitude in there first. How much can I do? Am I serving God with everything in me? Am I content with something being mediocre? Where are we at on that? Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. For you have not called us to wander around this world aimlessly trying to find our way, but your word has given us very clear guidelines to help keep us out of the area of pride, out of the area of false humility, and right down the middle in that road of being humble, right where you want us to be. For then our service to you is pure. It is laid to our account. And we do the greatest benefit to the body of Christ. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. So we check out our heart. Make sure we're in the right place. Doing the right thing with the right attitude. All the while serving God by serving people. Thank you for the help that you give us. In all these things, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory to God. We have uh, some praise reports. There we go. Anybody else who uh, didn't write it up yet or didn't get it in? Hand that over while we're reading those. You'll have a little bit of time. Uh, I was just thinking as Pastor was teaching on this here, you know, um, that story that he told was very extreme. <laughs> Thank you for that. But, um, you know, don't ever devalue what you do for God either. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people think that, well, all I do is yada, yada, and, and you know, it's no big deal. I don't teach. I don't. D- never devalue what you do because you don't know what kind of an impact that's making on somebody else. Um, I had a conversation with somebody this week that feels like they don't have a place in the church, you know, in, in their church. You know, they have to have something they're doing. Just being in the church and people seeing you every week and being able to communicate with you every week, that in and of itself is a ministry. Amen? You know, when you're not here, you're missed. You know, you've got a place. We're part of the family of God. And when, when, you know, when you go home for a family reunion, if somebody's not there, they're missed. You know, and it's not so much that they, they bring anything. It's just you want them. You want them to be there. Don't devalue what you do for, for the, the body of Christ and for the Lord. Um, Sharon has a praise report. She said she received some yummy treats and a gift card this week. Praise God for that. <laughs> Um, Mandy says, I realize more every day that God has so blessed me with my husband and kids. Amen. I'm so happy that God's plan was so much better than what I had planned for my life. Amen. She just love God's plans. <laughs> his, high, his ways are higher, huh? Let's see what this one says. Um, okay, let me see if I can read this here. So I want to thank God for blessing me with my beautiful praying wife who stood by me. And has been there for me when my my health was failing and when I was out of work. Hmm. I believe with all my heart that God answered her prayers. My health has cleared up, and now I have new employment. Thank you, Lord. And that was from Will. Thank God he answers our prayers. And speaking of prayers, we do have prayer and healing school today. I don't know why. I'm going to be mushed during this thing. Um, But uh, we have prayer and healing school.